which this morning will be taken from the book of Esther. The book of Esther. Now, Esther is, is tough. It's, it's one big story. And you can't really break it up, but we're going to anyway. Um, and to do that, to cover Esther in four weeks, we're going to take some big chunks at a time. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be looking at most of chapter 1 and chapter 2. For the sake of time, I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 and 16 through 18 of the book of Esther. Hear now the word of the Lord. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their, let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women." And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven choice young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity." The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, Lord, stands forever. Uh, my children saw for the first time this past week the movie Home Alone and declared it their favorite Christmas movie of all time. I'm assuming most of you have seen Home Alone, a story of a young man who's accidentally, you know, eight years old, accidentally left home alone while his family goes on vacation and they can't get back to him and, and he's got to not only take care of himself but as he later realizes protect the house from invaders and burglars. It's the story of how Kevin McAllister lucks out and stops two thieves by accident, right? No, not if you've seen the movie. It's not a story of luck and chance but rather a story of careful planning and preparation and unusual, especially for an eight-year-old, an unusual attention to detail that resulted in saving his home. Now Esther presents us with a similar situation. As I said, it's not, it's not many different stories. It's one big story that we're going to have a hard time breaking into chunks. And that, what that one story is about is how God saves his people. 
But the curious thing that many people have pointed out is that God is never mentioned in the entire book of Esther, not by name. It never says that God did this. God planned this. God protected this person. God took care of his people in this way. But just because he's not mentioned doesn't mean he's not there. Just as if you saw Home Alone without all the scenes of Kevin, and if you just saw the parts where the thieves are prevented from breaking in, you would know that someone had set everything up. Someone was there making sure that everything happened the way it was supposed to. And so the story of Esther is actually a story about providence. That's a word we, we need to use a little more than I think we do. The Westminster Shorter Catechism explains it this way. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all His creatures and all their actions. In other words, providence is a word we use to describe how God makes everything happen the way He wants it to. It's a word that means that God is always in control. Always in control over everything. God doesn't just work within the circumstances that He's given. No, He creates the circumstances from beginning to end. And the lessons that we learn in Esther about providence teach us about how God rules history and cares for us even today. That same power to save that He exercised, that His providence took care of in Esther also ensured that Jesus would die in our place and also ensures that we will be preserved and join Him in glory. The first way we see God's providence at work in the story of Esther is that we see that God plans salvation before there is danger. The chapter one that we didn't look at yet is it's almost a comedy. You know, the king has a great banquet. The wine flows freely. And seven days, seven days into the feasting, we see this in verses 10 and 11. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Now that seems fine, but it's not. The king is drunk and he wants to show off his queen and basically turn her into an object before his guests. It would have been disgraceful and insulting to her, and it would have disgraced the king if he'd been in his right mind, but he wasn't. The queen, Vashti, she knows it's a bad idea, and so she refuses, which makes the king angry in verse 12 of chapter 1. Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. And at this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Now, in the clear light of day, when he was sober and thinking straight, this might have been easily resolved. But in his pride, the king does something foolish. He gets some advice from the men around him, and they think that the real problem here is not the king's foolish uh, command that the queen appear before him when he's drunk, but rather, they think the real problem is now, because of this, all the women in the kingdom are going to think it's okay to disrespect their husbands. Because that's what really mattered, right? Verse 17. The advisors say, the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt. King, we got to do something about this. And so he fires the queen 
and banishes her from his sight and from the kingdom for the rest of her life. And that's what sets up Esther's story. Queen Vashti is out. And then the advice that the king gets is this in chapter 2, verses 2 and 4. Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. In summary, the king was drunk. He acted foolishly. He followed some bad advice that only made things worse. And by itself, that doesn't look much like the plan of God. That looks like some circumstances that God has to get involved in and sort out and figure out how to make better. We don't see the divine providence in the drunken decisions of a pagan king. But in the big picture, as we read on, we have to consider this. As we're going to see in the coming chapters and coming weeks, Haman was going to murder God's people. He was an official in the king's court, and he was going to put out a plan to murder all of the Jews in the kingdom. And if it had been Vashti instead of Esther that was queen at the time, then who would have spoken up to stop the slaughter of God's people? You see, God planned for Queen Vashti to be sent away and banished so that Esther could become queen and save God's people. Scripture has many examples of God directing and setting up national events. Pharaoh's heart in the time of Moses, Pharaoh's heart was alternately hardened and softened at the will of God and the command of God. King Abimelech in the days of Abraham was prevented. God kept him from sinning against Sarah. Pilate and Herod we see in Scripture, according to Acts 4, they do exactly what God wanted them to do in trying and condemning and executing Jesus. As Proverbs 21 verse 1 tells us, a king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He wills. God decides what happens at every level of government and leadership and politics and business. God is in control and He turns things wherever He wills. He doesn't operate in response to nations and powers in the world. He is over them. Daniel chapter 2 tells us, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. God is in control. When Queen Vashti is sent away, God is in control. God is orchestrating circumstances to bring about what He desires. And all this shows us is that God was planning to save His people before the threat was even there. Before there was a need, God planned your salvation for the foundation of the world. In 2 Timothy 1, just one of many examples of this idea, we see that God saved us God called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ before the ages began. According to Scripture, God did not wait until you heard the gospel and asked for forgiveness in order to make salvation happen for you. God didn't plan the death and resurrection of Jesus after Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin and death into the world. No, God planned your salvation and all that it involved before He even spoke the world into existence. What that means is a mystery that we can't wrap our human brains around. But we know from Scripture that it is true. 
and more than that. God scattered the Jews throughout the realm of Babylon so that the Old Testament scriptures would be spread throughout the nations and not be limited to Israel. So that when the message of Jesus reached the nations, they had already been prepared by the word of God. Through Alexander the Great, God conquered nations and unified the language of the people throughout the Western world so that they all spoke and understood Greek so that anyone speaking Greek could hear the gospel after Jesus sent his disciples out. God used the Romans to pave roads around the empire so that the church and the message of the gospel could spread quickly throughout the Roman Empire. God knows what he's doing. So whether it's Babylon or or Greece or Rome or any other nation or power on earth, he is no less in control of the world today than he was in Esther's day and in the time of Jesus on earth. So what does that mean for me and for you? It means fear not. It means don't panic. Do you ever think that there is anything at all that surprises God Almighty? The one who moves nations to accomplish His will. Do you think He's ever caught unprepared by things that are going on in the world? Your neighbors, your news sources, your friends may live in a state of constant panic over what they see and what they hear about what's going on in the world. But as we just sang a little bit ago, verse 2 of, Oh, Father, You are sovereign. Oh, Father, You are sovereign in all affairs of man. No powers of death or darkness can thwart God's perfect plan. All chance and change transcending. He's over the idea of chance. There is no chance. We're going to see that in a minute. Supreme in time and space, he holds his trusting children secure in his embrace. God planned salvation before the need was even there. And if he had so carefully planned, then why do you need to be afraid? Nothing can undo what he has done. The next way that we see God's providence at work in the story of Esther is that God uses tragedy to work salvation. Wait a minute, Pastor. How can I believe that in my life, God plans salvation and He's totally in control if I'm seeing tragedy, if I'm seeing pain, if I'm seeing my friends suffer, if I'm just reading any of the millions of news articles I could read about even His own people who are starving or being held captive, being forced into slavery, being persecuted, Well, Esther's life also teaches us that God's people do experience tragedy, but God, in fact, uses that tragedy for His own purposes. Esther's life is a series of sad events when we meet her. The first tragedy has already happened, the one that brought Esther and her family from Jerusalem into this foreign kingdom. In verses 5-7, through there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai. The son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. Do you see all that's already happened in Esther's life? Note the double tragedy in those verses. She has neither father nor mother. She is an orphan. 
We don't know when or how her parents died. It may have been before Jerusalem was invaded. It may have been when Nebuchadnezzar invaded and conquered Jerusalem. It may have been after they'd been brought to Babylon. All we know is that she's being raised by her older cousin Mordecai. The other tragedy is that her home was destroyed by Babylon and she was carried away as a captive. And then it gets worse in verse 8. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were also gathered in Susa the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace. So Esther, orphaned, home destroyed, carried away from all that she previously knew and held captive in a foreign nation, is now, as, as a faithful daughter of Israel, being forced to join the harem of a pagan king. She's taken away from Mordecai, her caretaker. <laughs> and forced to join the king's harem. In situations like that, it may seem like God has abandoned his people. When we suffer loss or violence, grief and sorrow, is God absent? Is God powerless to help? Does he not care? Are the circumstances of our lives too insignificant and unimportant for him to take notice? Is he too busy guiding the hearts of kings and queens like water in his hands to notice the pain that we experience? The scripture answers all those questions again and again and again. God is not ignorant of our pain. He is not absent when we suffer. He is not powerless to do anything about it. And he's not apathetic or uncaring about what we feel. In fact, He alone understands our sorrow. Isaiah 53, in speaking of Christ, says that He would be despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And because we worship a Savior who, is, who has experienced sorrow, who has experienced suffering, who, as another song says, whom every grief has known that rings the human breast, who really understands our pain. Therefore, as 2 Corinthians 1 tells us, because of that, God is the Father of mercies and He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. When you suffer, you are not alone. You are instead fellowshipping with Christ who also suffered. And as you share in suffering, you share in comfort. God had a plan for Esther, not just for Esther, but for all of his people through Esther. Not just to protect them, but to prosper them, to bless them, to strengthen them. And for that plan to work, Esther needed to be brought from Jerusalem to Susa and she needed to be raised by Mordecai so that he would give her the counsel and the advice and the training and upbringing she needed to make good decisions. Her story reminds me of Joseph, who ended up second in command of all of Egypt. But the road that he took there was a rough one. God made him second in command in Egypt that he might save the lives of thousands, maybe even millions of people when famine struck and to preserve the remnant of God's people through the household of Jacob. But that road to power and, and the ability to save went through betrayal by his brothers, enslavement in Egypt, false imprisonment because of Potiphar's wife, and incredible heartache and suffering. For years he suffered 
without knowing why. God doesn't just deal with the pain in our lives. He's at work through the pain to bring us where he wants us to be. God uses tragedy, sorrow, suffering, and hurt to accomplish greater things than we can imagine when, they're, when we're in the midst of it. You know, you're probably familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia stories. My favorite book in the whole series is called The Horse and His Boy. And it's a story about a young man, a, a, an orphan slave named Shasta, who meets a talking horse from Narnia named Bree, and together they conspire to escape and go to Narnia where things are free. But along the way, they encounter such suffering They're chased at one point by lions. At another point, they're attacked by a lion. Several times, they're chased by lions along the way. And at one point, Shasta, on his own, at at the worst point in his story, when everything seems to be falling apart, he's separated from Bree, the horse, and he's on his own trying, trying to get to safety, and he's walking through an impenetrable fog, and he's mourning his life and all the suffering he's experienced. And he hears a voice talking to him in the fog. And he says, why are you upset? And Shasta starts to explain all the terrible things that's happened to him. I've been chased by lions throughout my journey. I've been hounded and and relentlessly pursued. And the voice is Aslan, the great lion who represents Christ. And Aslan says, sorry if it's a spoiler, if you haven't read it yet. But he says, no, you weren't chased by many lions on your journey. You were chased by one. I was the lion. I was the lion who chased you so that you would meet up with the other friend that you met on your journey. Sorry. I love this story. I was the lion that attacked you at the end of your journey so that your horse had the adrenaline and and the fear to get you right where you needed to be on time. I was the lion all along the way. God uses every painful moment in our life to get us where we need to be. That he uses that pain should not surprise us. Because after all, he used the greatest tragedy of all, the death of Christ, to bring about the greatest act of salvation. What looked like defeat and loss to God's people was instead a doorway to joy and victory that we could not have known otherwise were it not for the cross. And so we trust God in all circumstances. As we sang earlier, whatever my God ordains is right. Everything that he, even though right now in drinking this cup it seems bitter, I trust, I trust that whatever God says must happen is good. And so as God's people, we quote with hope the familiar words of Romans 8.28, which we have sung this morning, which we have confessed this morning in our assurance of pardon, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God planned your salvation before there was a need, and God uses tragedy to work salvation. The last thing we see in the beginning of Esther's story is that God guarantees every detail of salvation. Because as humans, our plans don't always work. To go back to Home Alone, that story despite all of Kevin McAllister's perfect plans, despite the way he has ordered everything and set everything up, things don't go according to plan. Things go wrong. Because not everything is under our control. But it is not so with God. 
God guarantees every last detail. That's what providence means. That God orders and governs every detail of all of his creatures. Verses 8 through 9, look at this in chapter 2. Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace to, and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had been forced to join the royal harem, but she quickly became the favorite of the person in charge of all these young women. Remember, every young maiden had been brought to the palace to be brought before the king. And the one in charge of all these young women, for some reason, liked Esther more than anyone else and treated her favorably and gave her unfairly things that were not given to the other young women and made sure that she had a privileged position. Not only that, we see in verse 7 that she had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. So she's, she's got an advantage to begin with. And then she wins the favor of the person in charge. So he gets her extra advantage. And then finally, out of all the young women in the kingdom, we see in verses 16 and 17, when Esther was taken to the king, to his royal palace, the king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. What would we say from an earthly perspective about this turn of events in Esther's life? She's born beautiful. She gets special treatment. She's made queen. This was a fairy tale. We'd say, she is so lucky. She's so lucky. Look at all the great things that happened to her. When good things happen that we can't explain, people call it good luck. But the Bible tells us that God is in control of every detail. That's the providence of God at work. So why did Esther look the way that she did? Why did Haggai favor her above all the others? Why did the king choose her to be queen? Was it luck? No! God had a plan. In Genesis 39, Joseph again, when he's put in prison, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. That's similar language to what happened with Esther. The Lord gave her favor. He changed the, the way somebody saw her and made them favorably disposed towards her. There is no luck. There is no randomness in God's universe, as, as theologian R.C. Sproul used to say. There is not a single maverick molecule in all of God's creation. No maverick molecule, no single atom or molecule that's off doing its own thing that God does not control. Because if there were, then that one maverick molecule might mess everything up. It might set things in motion that are not what God had planned. If anything, if anything at all is left to chance or to luck, then God could promise nothing. He could promise nothing. But because God is in control, all of His promises will come true. I've at times, I can't remember if I've ever done it from the pulpit here. I know I've shared this in Sunday school, the story of how my dad met my mom to me, perfectly illustrates this, how, how God must be in control of every detail. Now, we have to go back to what I shared earlier where Scripture said that God chose each of us before the foundation of the world to be, to be saved, which means that God chose me before, not only before my parents ever met, 
or existed, but before all of creation. So in order for me to be saved and fulfill the plans and purposes of God, I had to be born and exist, which meant my parents had to meet. Now, my dad met my mom in a deli in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania in 1974 or 5-ish. I can't remember exactly. Four. We'll go with 74. He was there with his cousin, who was a friend of my mom's. Now, my mom, none of you have ever, ever met her, but she had darker skin and dark, thick, curly hair, which in 1974 was styled out, I've seen the pictures, into a big afro. So with her big afro and her dark skin, she was working behind the counter of the deli, friend, and her friend, my dad's cousin, points back to her and says, hey, how'd you like a date with that girl back there? Now, what she didn't realize was that as she pointed, a tall, pale-skinned woman with long blonde hair walked in front of my mom, and my dad saw her and said, that's the kind of woman I'm interested in. I absolutely want to date with that girl right there. Not realizing the mistake, his cousin set it up, and my dad showed up at my mom's house. My mom answered the door. My dad didn't recognize her at all went in the living room and politely waited for this tall blonde to come out. And about 10 minutes later realized that this dark-skinned woman with the big afro was the one that he was supposed to be taking on the date. And as he later tells the story, he decided that night after they had tacos in Pittsburgh that he was going to marry this woman um, once she got out of high school. That was another story. Um, had that woman not walked in front of my mom at that exact second my dad would have had no interest in taking my mom out on a date. They would not have fallen in love, gotten married, had a child who's speaking to you today. The details of every step of that woman that I don't even know were a part of my salvation story. God guarantees every detail. You and I are here today because God is in control. And that is the assurance that gives us hope that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. We live in a time in history when everything seems chaotic. And now that's not unique. God's people have felt that way for thousands of years. But the feeling is kind of new to us, isn't it? Our world has felt a little more ordered a little more stable than it has lately. And now it seems like everything's off the rails. And we may question if somehow the universe has gone haywire. But the Word of God speaks into that chaos and says, no, God is at work. God is in control. God's plan will not fail. The same God who made sure that Esther looked the way she did and received the favor of Haggai and was chosen by the king, that same God is in control today and He will not fail. Isaiah 46, He tells us these words. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like Me. Declaring the end from the beginning. From the very beginning, I tell you how things are going to end. And from ancient times, telling you things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Don't, brothers and sisters, don't give anyone or anything more power than it deserves. No one has power over you and your life beyond what God in His wisdom and His love allows them to have. And therefore, as you look at the new year ahead, 
and every year after that. Your happiness, your peace, your security rests not in luck or chance or earthly powers and institutions. Instead, your very security rests in the perfect, guiding, mysterious providence of God. That word mysterious is a good one. In just a minute, we're going to sing about it. The wondrous mystery. The word mystery describes something we don't understand. Something we can't explain. The Bible calls salvation a mystery. The Bible calls the plan of God a mystery that is being revealed to us. As we're about to sing in just a moment. Come behold the wondrous mystery of Christ the Lord on the tree. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold. Neither Esther, nor Mordecai, nor Vashti, nor the king, nor anyone witnessing Esther's rise to power could have guessed what God's plan was as it unfolded. But God knew. And God made, excuse me, God made sure that everything happened just the way it needed to, just the way it was supposed to, just the way He wanted to. And child of God, your Father today is no less in control now than He was then. In Christ, the Father's plan unfolds. The mystery is revealed. And the providence of God, which has always been at work in the background, guarantees your salvation and guarantees all of the steps of your journey in Him. Let your new year begin with that hope and that assurance today. Let's pray and then sing together. Our Heavenly Father, we know and we trust and we, we say we believe that you are in control, but it is honestly sometimes hard to accept that, hard to rejoice in that. By your Spirit that is within us, according to your promise, teach us to not only understand these things, but to rejoice in them, to delight in them, to be encouraged by them, to find strength in them, to find our hope in them. That you never cease to lovingly, perfectly, wisely ordain our steps. We are secure in You. We rejoice in that. In the name of our Savior Jesus, Amen.